If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be morally perplexing, and here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to what are the building blocks of a moral dilemma? And how can we use real ethical perspectives to make them better? And what can RPG video games teach us about crafting the hardest of choices? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So today, we're obviously talking about morality, the ancient topic that philosophers have toiled over for thousands of years pretty that's a lot of work yeah that they did yeah a lot of thinking a lot of chats over the park before they had tv we got too much tv now we can't sit around thinking that long (laughs) we certainly don't and and maybe it's that that hubris that we've gained uh you know the what tv has kind of bolstered us to thinking that we're capable of we kind of sat down and said, yeah, we could probably crack morality in an afternoon. Yeah, we're the heroes <laughs> of our own story. So, yeah, it, I mean, it seems pretty simple, really. It's morality. It's very basic. But these are the moments in games that we're all trying to craft. I mean, you can toss down a riddle and stump your players for a little bit. You can mix in a devilish door puzzle with a trap and stump them and hurt them. Which is great. But Mike dropping a moral dilemma that forces a complex choice does both and causes a character to never be the same again that's the juice that we're trying to squeeze out of that fresh fruit yeah to be able to send your players home at the end of a game questioning their own reality and whether or not they're a good person (laughs) that's what i'm after questioning their reality even (laughs) wow well, we recently got into one of our bi-weekly Discord hangouts, and that's kind of what sparked this whole idea for an episode, because everyone was laboring over what makes a great moral choice. Uh, one of our, our wonderful uh, contributors had a moral choice hanging over them. How do I get my players to, to really labor over this choice, and how do I make them feel some stuff? And it, I mean, I don't know that we arrived at any solid conclusions after about an hour of chatting about this particular topic some fun ideas were thrown around and some goodness came out of it for sure but yeah like we we had a great time chatting about it but boy it's a it's a real head scratcher and we think that creating the right conditions for compelling and challenging character choices is worth the effort which you know of all of the situations to set up in DD, it is a bit of effort to do this well yeah i can throw together a monster by just flipping open a page from the monster manual. Like it doesn't take a ton of prep. If I'm going to do this, I want to do it well. Like there's nothing more disheartening than like putting together something you think is going to be real meaty. Like whether it's any kind of any kind of prep in general. You you labor over it. You're like, yes, this is going to be so good. You slap it down and you go, ha, chew on that. And then they go, yeah, uh, we'll take the left path. <laughs> Is there any gold? We pick it up. We're moving. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, shit. What the <laughs> hell? I, yeah. I worked on that choice for a long time. And so I think there's some subtle nuances to making players engage with these kind of topics that make sure that all of your effort doesn't go wasted. So in an effort to create the best 
problems possible? Can we possibly divine some kind of framework to make these choices as juicy as they can be? Well, I sure as hell hope so, because we spent a long time <laughs> on laboring over this episode, but we'll let you decide in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So in the effort to create a system that you can use to create your own moral dilemmas again and again, even though, yes, it still requires a little work, we came down to three steps that we're going to explain a little bit. Step one, choose two factions and values. Step two, create competition, stakes, and the price of inaction. And step three is balance and complicate. Right, and you might already be thinking about your favorite classic ethical dilemmas, situations like the trolley problem, for example. It's a great framework. Yeah, and if you're not familiar, the absolute basic version of this is you got a trolley out of control on a track. There's four people that it's going to run over, and you have the option to flip a switch to throw it over to another track where it's only going to kill one person. Now, you got a kind of interesting dilemma there. Are you going to act and save four, but your action is directly going to kill one. I'd like to state at the top here that these don't work great because this is a choice between inaction and action. And while in a philosophy debate, this works great, in D&D, giving your players the choice to just walk away means that you're not going to play a game after that. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> be careful with things like this. Which is the classic move of players. Yeah. I'm not going to interact with that. I'm actually going to go over here. And then everyone sits awkwardly at the table. What do we do now? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so what, what we've actually concocted here is a framework to use to build your own moral dilemmas. Not to say that this is the final answer on moral dilemmas. No, 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 no. This, this is just a simple way that helps us contextualize and and categorize our choices to make sure that we're creating a really balanced choice one that our players are actually going to struggle with a little bit and the ideal outcome to this is that our players walk away having made a choice and it changes their character that's what we're trying to get to is to give them a choice that they now have to reflect and go oh shit my character's different i just made this really difficult choice and now I know which side of this line I sit on. And if you're including lots of these, your characters will define themselves by the choices that they make. And that's what a story is supposed to do. Exactly. So let's dive into each one of those steps in more detail. Let's start with step one is choosing those two factions and values. When you're thinking factions, it doesn't have to be groups of people. It can be individuals or nations or one group guy against a city the capulets and the montagues but yes uh the the point remains you can really you can mix and match it's just any two groups and then you got to figure out what values your party or an individual character that you want to highlight has these are going to be the building blocks that you create the rest of this with and travis and i get these at the start of our games now it helps prep so much oh it's it's absolutely essential like 
If I were to come down with one rule that I abide by now, it's figure out your goddamn values. <laughs> because... It's going to help you plan your games and plan your campaigns and plan your sessions and make everything thematic to your characters that you have sitting at the table. So knowing each one of those characters' values and then kind of putting together party values as well helps us to contextualize this to an entire party because it's basically a group of five, but they're, they've come together for a reason. They're traveling together because of some kind of shared value. And that's what we want to try and hit on. And to contextualize this a bit, the reason that we're starting from the characters and not just thinking what's a good choice of between good and bad or what's morally right is because if you don't cater this to your group and your players, then you're going to end up with what I've been in is a situation where I've got a beautifully crafted ethical choice of which one is the better path. Both are good, but... You have to sit here and decide. And then again, the players, because they're murder hobos, they just kill everyone in the room and look for their loot. And <laughs> I love that so much where they're just like stabbing at you. You're sitting there expecting this like world changing event. And instead they just slaughter the whole bunch and slap their hands together and go, okay, this room is done on to the next. Yeah. So like a moral choice for that party is going to be, which people do we kill for the most amount of loot or something like that? It's not going to be <laughs> the philosophical debates. Turn out your pockets. I want to see who has more gold. Yeah. And we've, we've kind of talked about this at length in one of our episodes, episode 56, create conflict with four corner opposition. This plays a really kind of key role because if we're doing this for our games uh, and kind of our campaign planning, then we have some values laid out. And that's kind of what we were alluding to before is that now when we create campaigns or cre we create stories, we use this four corner opposition to lay out those values. It's kind of intrinsic in it. So to kind of give you a quick recap, if you haven't heard that episode, by all means, go and listen to it because there's a lot more, but we'll try and encapsulate it shortly. So first you got to have the party choose two values that they all share, like we were just talking about. Then they're... Big Bad is going to have two opposing values. So they just sit counter. Whatever values your party has come up with, they sit completely opposite. They stand in opposition, flaunting their hatred for those two values, exactly the opposite. So then you make a second and a third villain. These are the, the folks that are going to stand in the way to the big bad evil guy at the end. Those two villains are going to have one of their values, in common with the party, and one that runs contrary. And this way, one of them could end up being an ally, one of them could end up being uh, a sworn enemy, you could kill them off, whatever you want to do, but it allows the party to go through that, uh, through that change and say, okay, what are our values? Look, we share this with one, we're opposed in the other, whatever happens, happens, but it's going to lead to our big bad at the very end. And this can create for really shifting gameplay. It leads to really fun stuff that you as the DM aren't even expecting. So for example, let's say the party values are peace and equality. That means our main villain value is going to be war and power. And then we're going to make uh, one of the third enemies, uh, peace and power and, or war and equality. 
um, whatever kind of mixture that you want to do there. But at least you have, uh, you know, the potential to create an ally or an enemy first, and then they switch sides. Like it creates a lot of dynamism. It's very cool. Yeah. And then as a DM, you can put any of them at odds and it's super fun stuff. Another way to think of this in terms of moral quandaries is to use goals as values. So figure out what your character or group wants. It can be as simple as the quest they were just hired to complete. Go save somebody from a cave of goblins, you know? And that goal becomes one of their values. Then you can just ask, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to achieve your goal? So if you didn't happen to get values or you're finding it really, really challenging, you know, that's a great point, Jord, is that you can just swap in a goal there because it's kind of their value. It's, it's what do they stand for? Well, we stand to get that cheddar, like that, that money, that treasure that we're seeking, that's our value. And what we're doing with all these values that we're coming up with is in a moral dilemma, all you're going to do is put one value against the other. The choice is going to be between their values. So pretty easy so far. Now let's move on to part two. Create competition, stakes, and the price of an action. So let's start with creating that competition. Now, it's not enough to simply choose between two parties based on their values. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a start. It's somewhere to start from. But, you know, if you had two people slapping each other over a piece of cheese and the party shows up and is like, hey, you guys stop it. And like, well, we want the cheese and uh, you choose. <laughs> well, what are the values we're fighting over? And yeah, and then the, the paladin says like, well, I like that guy because he's big and strong, that one. So he should get the cheese because I'm big and strong and I have the same values. I kind of like that guy. <laughs> yeah, this is... This is going nowhere fast. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. <laughs> no. It didn't feel good to say it. <laughs> well, we got to make that competition a little more drastic, right? Yeah. Let's throw them both off a cliff and then see if things spice up a little bit. <laughs> wow. Okay. Make it a competition of who lives and who dies. Not subtle. It, it has some serious consequence there. Let's use a better example that I know that we both love. So you and I, Jord, are absolute super fans of batman mm -hmm. and bat nuts as we call <laughs> ourselves we are completely bat nuts <laughs> they're tiny they're furry they're bat nuts <laughs> oh geez uh <laughs> no we're both huge fans of specifically the christopher nolan series of films and then even more specifically the dark knight is in my eyes a near perfect movie and it's only because every time i learn a new storytelling tip or trick I see that it was used in The Dark Knight, and I'm like, oh, okay, he really knows what he's doing. So, in the example that we want to use, this is the choice. Batman finds out that the Joker has taken the love of his life, Rachel Dawes, and his newly, you know, found comrade in trying to clean up the streets of Gotham, Harvey Dent. His law pal. His law... <laughs> it sounds like a, a wonderful sitcom. Law pals. <laughs> Batman, Harvey Dent. I would actually watch that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, uh, so Joker's kidnapped them, uh, strapped them to thousands and thousands of barrels. Um, he's going to really kill them. Like, they're uh -huh. going to be super dead. Batman has to choose. And he only has so much time to make it to them. And this is a very, very classic kind of like superhero choice of like, save the one that you love the most. Yeah. It happens in every superhero story in some way. So... This choice in and of itself 
we've got some real consequences. The death of somebody that Batman holds dear. Yeah. But this isn't enough. Now we need to up the stakes. So what are the ripple effects of this choice? How will the world change? Not just the characters, but how will the world change as a result of this choice? Well, first, I want to point out that the values that we're talking about for Batman here are essentially love and personal relationships or the betterment of the city. Exactly right. Like, on the one hand, Harvey Dent epitomizes the opportunity to finally rid Gotham of crime. He has been a huge supporter of Batman in trying to bust down the Gotham mob who are the source of all of the pain and strife of Gotham. And then on the other hand, you got, you know, his own personal, like this is Bruce Wayne and his attachment to his own humanity yeah. and morality and like why he's doing it. He's He sees this person as like, I'm cleaning up the streets for her. I'm trying to make a life so that I can possibly even be with her. Which Alfie keeps reminding Batman, prodding him. Yeah, throughout the whole thing. And, and that's my point, is that the reason the stakes feel so grand for this one choice is because we've spent a whole movie underscoring <laughs> this. Like, exactly right. Alfred keeps talking about it. And uh, Bruce keeps talking to Rachel. And he's like, hey, you're with Harvey, but like, you could be with me. Yeah. Uh, we always talked about this. And Harvey's the... <laughs> And so, like, the entire movie, like, an hour and a half at this point, has been in building up to this one decision. Like, it's it's really instrumental. And Christopher Nolan did not take that choice lightly. And then we have to figure out how to telegraph some of those ripple effects. And us as an audience in this Batman example simply know that, God, if he loses Rachel, he is going down a dark path. Yeah. He's not going to be a good man after that. Like, he's going to be pissed off. He's going to be punching people. He's probably going to turn into the new Matt Reeves Batman. Yeah. Just, like, wailing on people. Going to get way darker. On the flip side, if he loses Harvey, he's going to have to just be Batman full-time, and he's probably going to lose Rachel anyways. Yeah. Because there's no one else to back him up on cleaning up the streets. It's a very complicated choice for old Bat. Extremely complicated, and so complicated he just sequesters himself in the Batcave after he loses Rachel <laughs> and, and Harvey. Harvey. So Real bummer. Yeah, this is... Joker, you hooligan. He knew. He knew how to get him just right. <laughs> so then the final piece, and this is really, really simple, uh, inaction. How do we make sure that inaction is not a choice? Right. Batman can't just go to the bar. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> just like Commissioner Gordon's like, hey, Batman, you need to make a choice. Harvey, Rachel, we'll try and... Uh, we'll I'm try stressed and out. <laughs> I can't deal with this right now. Can't you just send two squads to both locations? It needs to be gravelier and raspier. Yeah, sorry. I need a beer. <laughs> nice. All right. So that's that's it. That's create competition, stakes, and the price of inaction. Then part three, we got to balance and complicate this even more. So by this point, you should have some pretty good sides cooking around in your head. But if the choice is still too easy, it might not be compelling enough quite yet. And this is where the real life finer points of ethics and morality come into play. We're going to talk about some of the work that those philosophers have done for thousands of years so that we can slap it on our moral dilemmas 
And the point of these, as you're listening, is to kind of think of how you can add one of these to one side or the other and to just keep making it more complicated and more rich and give the players more to consider. And we'll kind of recap that at the end too. God, isn't that just the essence of our show is taking things with real consequence and weight and then recontextualizing them for a happy, happy imagination <laughs> <Yeah>. time. Exactly. <laughs> Let's take a very serious topic and reduce it down so that these fantasy elves can struggle. <laughs> and I've never learned outside of this podcast. <laughs> I swore off it before we started <laughs> making make-believe. He turned 12 and he was like, nope, I'm done learning. <laughs> yeah. What's it going to do for me? <laughs> So there's four dominant frameworks of morality created by, you know, people or groups trying to come up with rules to apply to any hard choice that they run into in the real world to figure out what the moral path is. And this is a gross oversimplification of those. Because <laughs> that's what we do best. <laughs> so let's set up a little, a little D&D example. The town you live in has been slowly stealing gold from a dragon's hoard. The dragon comes asking you if you know anything. Which you do. Do you lie or tell the dragon the truth? See, that already has some weight to it. I, I can feel the consequence, but now we're going to layer on even more. Yeah, so I'm going to go through these dominant ethical frameworks and kind of let you know what each of them would do in this situation. So we start with utilitarianism, the priority of which is the net pleasure of the outcome. So whatever happens in this situation... Let's consider who's going to be affected and consider what their lives are going to be as a result of this choice. And basically, it is the choice of how do I affect the most good in the broadest spectrum yeah. that I possibly can. So in this dragon sitch, people might be in danger from the dragon if you tell the truth. So we got to lie. Yeah. Then we move on to Kantianism, whose priority is universality, meaning if everyone did it, would it be okay? So in this situation, if we all stole and lied when it was in our best interest, we'd be screwed as a society, as a culture. <laughs> so gross undersimplification. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. So we better tell the truth in this situation. Sure. Or everything will go to shit. Yeah. Then we've got care ethics, which the priority there is our interpersonal relationships and caring for others. In this situation, the townspeople are our friends and loved ones so we got to protect them. We got to lie. Yeah. There's no other option. Like, they'll be slaughtered. So lie. Lie your little face off. <laughs> but wait. Virtue ethics has the priority of the virtue of the self. Meaning honesty is a virtue that we should abide by. So regardless of the consequences of your actions, as long as you're taking virtuous actions, you're good. So in this situation, we got to tell the truth. I feel like this is just made for the palate in the, in the party. <laughs> All right, Boy Scout. Yeah. Make your decision. You got rules? <laughs> Take you this. You never lie, but you also <laughs> need to save the town. And I wanted to use this example because it kind of illustrates why these groups have been, you know, debating this for thousands of years <laughs> because you can't just apply one to every situation. No. And... What I love about this, too, is that it is that gross oversimplification like we do, but it's so applicable. In the Batman example, you've got virtue and care ethics in the Rachel choice of like, I want to take care of this person. And also she means a lot to me. 
And on the other side, you have utilitarianism and Kantianism in the Harvey Dent choice. Obviously, you want Gotham to flourish. This is what you've been fighting for for your whole friggin' life. Yeah. Like, you've got two versus two, and it's so clear. And if you can apply, if you can do that to your moral choices, make it a 2v2, then people are going to struggle with it inherently. Like, these are what we all feel. And then we can kind of continue with the same thought process with a few ethical fallacies. These are the common yet illogical beliefs on what constitutes morality. So some people will argue that the law tells us what is ethical, but I'm sure you can realize the flaw in that. And a really good example I heard of why this one's absolutely false is if you get on a plane and fly across the country, you're going to be in places that have different laws about the same subject. So clearly, they're not defining ethics. No, no, not at all. Then we've got the idea that morality is subjective. I'll have my morality, you have yours, and we'll just both be okay with that. In theory, this seems all right until you take it to the extreme. So like, if this is true, we have to allow everyone to have their own morality. You know, if I were to tell you, Travis, that killing people is fine under any circumstance. Uh, 100% (laughs) no. Yeah. There's no argument that I can make that will make you believe that my morality is subjective. And then we have the fallacy of sincerity. So that's just because a moral belief is sincere does not make it moral. That one's kind of heavy. That's like religions and groups that are all, everyone sincerely believes to their core that this is the right thing. Well, absolutely. Like this, I mean, wars have been fought over this kind of stuff. Like these, these three fallacies are probably behind the vast majority of fights in Mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. Like just human conflict in general. So you want to talk about gross oversimplifications. (laughs) We've boiled down the struggle of humanity into three points. And so we're going to layer these onto our moral dilemmas. But another thing I think is really cool with everything we just talked about is that you can have your factions or groups that are fighting use these as justifications for what they're doing. Like when they're pleading to the party or making their case, they're basing it off of either these real ethical ideas or these fallacies. I love that so much because, you know, you've probably heard this before um, outside of this podcast, but like a good villain believes in what they're doing. And these three fallacies are so quick and easy to layer on to figure out what does my villain want? And in the case of, like you said, someone's pleading the party, please help me. I should be the one that you help, not that person, whatever the case may be. Like, this is going to really make your party struggle and try to work through all of these ideas to eventually arrive at probably the first four. Yeah, one of the first four. And they don't have a little cheat sheet in front of them like you do. Yeah. Now, we have pontificated and gesticulated and all kinds of aids for a little while. I think that we really need to provide a solid example of what this looks like if yeah. we were going to actually apply it to a game. Otherwise, we're just assholes. Because so far, you're not going to write the Dark Knight. <laughs> That's about the only takeaway so far. <laughs> all right. So let's actually put this into practice. So we're actually going to use my game. The, the game that I DM. How convenient. Yeah, yeah. And un- unfortunately, this is going to be a spoiler for you. 
because I'm probably going to use this. It's not just going to be an example, but we have not gotten to this point, and you are a player in my game. Yes, I am. So, sorry? I don't know. I don't know what the <laughs> takeaway here is. This is going to be a spoiler, but I trust you that you can role play through. I'll just lean back and cackle. Yeah. <laughs> what's wrong with uh, <laughs> What's wrong with Jordan today? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he's got a nervous tick. <laughs> so, here's the background. In my game, it is taking place in the remnants of a war-torn city after having lost a battle in a war between mortal races and demons. So it's very Wild West. It, the, the city itself, it's not so much about the demons anymore. It's about what those, those people do in the aftermath of something so, so stark and so dire. And so it's very Wild West. The law is outgunned by dozens of gangs that run the city. Each gang has their own specialty and competing desires. And go figure, those values have come in very, very handy in making some gangs, some other rival gangs that my party sees as potential allies, potential enemies. Like, it's been huge. Yeah, and as the DM, Travis just has endless fodder to introduce new gangs with slight tweaks to the formula. So, let's go to our characters. They have the shared values of reputation and equity. And they've come to this conclusion because they've been striving to make their own gang. And they're striking away from a very inequitable situation within another gang. And they said, now nah, we're going to go make our own and it's going to be fair. <laughs> we're going to go make our own gang with blackjack and hookers. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bender. So... What they need to do is they need to build a reputation. They're a brand new fledgling gang. So that's their other value is they want to make a reputation and they want it to be strong and good. So I'm going to present the players with an opportunity to absorb another gang and gain some allies. This is my end goal. I want to, to have more characters in the ranks. So that's your part one. You're going to choose two factions, two different gangs. Yeah. And I'm going to make two gangs. And so I think Gang A is, I'm going to lean into those values, Gang A is known for their sterling reputation. They are known all over town as the folks that when you want a job done well, you go to them. Right. Okay. Probably so, a little more expensive to hire. Probably. Like they're going to, I'm going to put a little bit of a, a nose up in the air kind of flair to them. They're going to be, they're going to be good. They're going to be organized. They're going to be like, holy shit, these people have something going on. Like, I want some of that action. As a rough and tumble, unorganized gang, you guys are going to be able to see them and go, damn, we could be operating like a smooth a smooth criminal. Yeah. The flip side to that reputation is that they have a very, very strict power structure and equity structure that favors those in charge. And I'm thinking that there's no way that you guys end up in charge of that, potentially, or that that is going to go against wherever you end up within that new reformed organization. It's not going to be equitable. Right. You guys have formed your gang based on equity. They've got a Jabba the Hut involved. Yeah, and there's going to be lieutenants, and, and there's going to be so many different layers, and they're not going to be compensated the same. Yeah. So that puts your two values at odds. And gang B is going to be the exact opposite. So known for being a scrappy but fair group. They're going to operate by a very solid code. 
that's that that equity piece. Yeah, gang that makes sure all the gang members have what they need. Totally. So very, very equitable. But on the flip side, they're going to be known as the scrappy, shitty little ragamuffin gang. And you're going to get no reputation. In fact, your reputation might go down by allying with them. Yeah, they don't get a lot of respect on the streets. So right there, we've created two factions and we've created some values. And we've made those values inherent in those choices. Nice. I like it so far. So now we need them to be in competition. Yes. They're in competition because both have recently lost their leadership. Uh, let's say like a, a guard sting took down both of their, their central hub of leadership. And they're going to be like, ah, shit. Uh, if we don't immediately present a strong front, other gangs are going to pick us off or they're, you know, they're looking to make sure that we don't come up again. They're going to get rid of competition. They both want to join forces, but they have been strong, strong opponents of each other, which means you can't choose both. It's one or the other. And by allying yourself with one, you are going to ostracize the other. The other is going to swear bloody revenge against your group. Yeah. So now we need to throw in some stakes. Well, I mean, if if the stakes of, you know, having these factions not like you afterwards, that's already some stakes inherent in that. But the other gang will likely, obviously, seek to be absorbed and will not just go away overnight. So now we've made some some strict enemies. And probably with other gangs that are factioned with them, you know, they're, they're, they've got allies, you know, whatever new gang they join. So we're, we're really going to, I'm going to have to drive home that point that this choice is going to split the city in two. Mm, nice. And so everyone is going to know about this reformation of these gangs. And you're going to have, whereas everyone was kind of agnostic to you before, this is going to make sure that everyone has to choose a side. So just to hit home that price of inaction, these gangs have to ally themselves with a new gang or they're going to be picked off. They're going to be gone, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, let's say they have 24 hours. We'll make a, a new rule in town that you guys are just hearing about that whenever a gang uh, gets dissolved, they've got like 24 hours or something like that to to find a new home otherwise they're like fair game i'm thinking like the warriors where like every gang is hunting for them trying to get rid of them but they have 24 hours to sort out their shit and the price of inaction on our gang's part is if we don't choose either then they're both going to turn on us i would assume yeah you're going to get neither they're both going to get hunted and you guys stay irrelevant yeah now i can already see us having a conversation about which group to side with but i feel like the Gang B, the scrappy underdogs, the fair group, yeah, might appeal to our morality a little bit more right now. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely leaning to one side. So this is where we need to add into the complications. You know, we need to add on some more of those complications and we need to figure out how to balance. So I think you're exactly right. Right now, morally, like now I'm even playing against the players morality not just the characters yeah the players are looking at this going like well do we want to be super popular or do we want to be folks of the people but i need to complicate this so it's really a laborsome choice looking at that ethics list that we were talking about earlier 
if we bring care ethics into the mix, you could have one of the NPCs of the party. Like they could be actually in the first gang. Ooh, yeah. So the, the high reputation gang that's a little bit less tempting for the party. Right. I'm going to put a loved yeah. one. Yeah. A brother, a sister, a mother, a grandson. Totally. And this is where I can lean on some of those players' backstories and yeah. say, okay, I'm going to grab this person. And they're going to show up to the meet and be like, what? You joined this gang? Yeah, I've been a part of it for the last year. <laughs> I bake pies and I stab some mm. mamajamas and some dark alleys. So you're going to take my character's uh, friendly neighborhood baker? No, uh, your great aunt. Oh, okay. Great Aunt Florence. She's <laughs> she's going to be armed with a knife and a pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've given her a huge 10-page backstory, which is a good one to use. <laughs> I think I need more, though. Now we've got one player in the party, yourself, who's going to be arguing for maybe choice A. Let's take utilitarianism and say that Gang B spreads the wealth that they gain among the impoverished in the community. Yeah. Pull on the old heartstrings a bit. Yeah, totally. Like, I, I think that fits within, you know, the fiction that I had already kind of worked out. Because, like, you guys are in a, you know, impoverished area of this city. You're right against the outer wall where all the wars have happened. All of the buildings have been shelled out. And it's not it's not looking super great there. So this gang is, sure, yeah, is trying to help out that community. So I feel like now we're kind of personal relationships are not going to stand equal to gang B helping an entire area of the city. Now it's kind of tilted back in the other direction. I'm, I'm fighting for my aunt. Are you? Yeah. You, you're sticking with Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I suspect that the rest of your party members are going to be like, okay, but your aunt is still a gang member. <laughs> so are we. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but at least we're helping an entire community. And a great aunt flow is not as, you know, you know yes yeah yes, yes, yes. yeah we need we need another we, uh, more complication so let's use the logical fallacy so we're gonna say that we've got two positives you know we've got an npc in one and we've got what the other gang is doing for the community in the other those are both positives now let's add some negatives so i'm thinking a logical fallacy that says that the very nice and wonderful group b the gang b that's helping the community I'm thinking that they're wanted by the law. They're going to get pressure put on them heavily. Like, obviously, every gang has, uh, there's like a tenuous piece there between the law and the gangs, knowing that that's how the city operates. Yeah. But let's say that the altruistic gang, they're the ones that, you know, they don't really fit the status quo. And so the, the law is known for coming down on them extra hard. Using them to make examples. Yeah. So... That's going to temper your guys' choice in the maybe the other other direction. Right. We don't want that to bring that into our home. Yeah. Okay, well, Gang A is sounding pretty pretty bad ethically so far. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a lot of good going for them. No. Just arguments that can be made. Just a reputation, really. Yeah. So let's spice up their kindness by saying that Gang A is known for their honesty among each other. Despite all their heavy power structure, they've got order and rules that keep everyone honest and above board. Nobody in that gang is stabbing each other in the back at any point. See, I like that. Because then you guys will go into that gang sensing some peace and saying like, yeah, no, that we can actually make a, a place here. And 
honestly, this one really does bring it home. I really like this one because now we're back, you know, we've come full circle back to that values decision. Do I value my reputation or do I value equality? And can I have both? Maybe not. Maybe you, your group, your party is going to have to make a decision on one side or the other. Yeah. Well, hopefully that was helpful. God, it was helpful for me. I've got exactly what to do next in your guys' campaign. Yeah, and I think I'm personally going to use this more because I usually just shy away from moral dilemmas because I I think to myself, this is, this is hard. I'm just going to put a monster in it. Yeah. <laughs> Monsters are easier. <laughs> and arguably they are. Like, this does take some work. Yeah. But it lands. If we've done all of these steps correctly, it's going to land and it really does fit the format if you take any other moralistic question or choice, say from video games or movies, it's likely you can run it through these same steps and it's going to, you know, level off. And you're going to see every one of these steps mirrored in that choice. Yeah. So a big thanks, obviously, to the folks on Discord. That Discord chat was one of the biggest bangers that we've had so far. It was so good. Everyone showed up. It was a ton of fun, um, and boy, we got into some serious ethics questions, and we were brainstorming ideas uh, on how to make this one particular choice in a campaign uh, really meaningful, and this whole episode came of that, so I think you should join our Discord Hangouts. So you can have an influence on what our mouths do say. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right, moving on. We're going to jump into the extra-dimensional gateway and talk about some moral video game moments. This is the extra-dimensional gateway, where unique heroes from strange alternate realities are recruited. So let's talk about some video game moments. Speaking of moral choices, there have been some real doozies. Yeah. Because video games, they have you play them for like 200 hours and then put everything you've invested on the line with these critical moral moments. And it's bullshit. I'm looking at you, Mass Effect. 300, 400 hours just to make <laughs> the, one of the most difficult choices ever. Yeah. You asshole of a game. But before I get into anything too, too heavy, I want to mention one that just stuck out for the fact that it was a little bit different. In Metal Gear Solid 4, there's a level where you're creeping behind two fighting factions and the game doesn't slap you in the face with a choice like a lot of games do. You just get to choose whether you're going to keep moving towards your goal or if you're going to use your resources, like your ammunition, to help a group that's getting gunned down. Like you can hear them dying as you're moving. Ugh. It only weighs on you if you even notice it's there. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. I think it's cool for it to be that subtle. Well, and the takeaway here is I think that you can put people in danger and you can experiment with who you put in danger to your party. Because as we all know, parties can be absolutely ruthless sometimes and be completely like they don't have to give a shit about certain things. But uh, this is a really interesting moral dilemma of self-preservation Versus helping others in need. Yeah. And if you were to throw this at your players uh, when they're already low on resources or they just finished a fight, 
this could be really, really interesting. And if they are the murder hobo, take all the gold kind of party, you just put a dude that's pockets are full of gold running through a dungeon. <laughs> Help me! <laughs> Help me! I'm being pulling chased. up his pants, his gold is just falling out. Well, that's that's the test there, is you keep ramping it up. First you say, there's a man running away from a horde of lizard folk, and then he's screaming, help me, help me, and if the players don't respond to that, then you turn to the rogue with a super high perception and say, you hear the <laughs> telltale tinkle of gold hitting the rocky floor. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, I've reconsidered. Maybe <laughs> That's I their will. value, gold. <laughs> yeah, nice, good one. And then we have one that I think is really universal, but Dragon Age did it in a kind of different way again, too. Oh, Dragon Age. That, yeah. that devoured weeks of our lives. Oh, yeah. Travis and I would just sit in two chairs staring at two TVs in the same room. <laughs> we were so excited for Dragon Age to come out. Yeah. And we we bought two consoles, two TVs. We just sat there for days on end. Yeah. Travis would just fall asleep in his chair with his controller in hand and then wake up the next day to continue. I really wish that we didn't have to air dirty laundry like yeah. that on, uh, you know, on this show to but be indelibly do. marked on the internet forever. Yeah. But yeah. I can't help it. Okay. Moving on. So in Dragon Age Origins, after everything settles throughout the story, you essentially get to choose who becomes the new ruler of the game world for Reldon. You've known the characters for a very long time, so you got plenty of information to base your decision on. Yeah. And it's just a bit weighty. Like, it's not one of those ones where something terrible is going to happen, but it's one of those ones that defines the future of the world that you've invested so much time in. And it's interesting because, like, again you've built up to this choice whether you realize it or not in getting close to some of those characters you as the viewer as the player can understand the long-term implications of what this what Ferelden could become under their leadership and both have positives and negatives that really stick with you and what i think is really neat about this is that it's essentially the same kind of choice that batman makes which NPC do you choose? You've got extreme relationships with them. This one is saying, which one do you choose to sit on the throne? That one's saying, which one do you choose to die? And a lot of video games take the, which one do you choose to die approach. Yeah. But the point here is, you know, create NPCs that have different priorities and values and personalities. And as you develop them, the more the party gets attached to them. And then you can give them some of these decisions. And you don't always just have to kill them off. Because if you do that too many times, taking that darker path of choose who dies, oh. they're going to start feeling like they're in a Saw movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not playing D&D. This is dark. <laughs> That's when you open the game session every time. Like you sit down as the DM at the head of the table and you're like, do you want to play a game? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, ah, shit, he's going to do it again. Not again. What an asshole. <laughs> Stop introducing NPCs because I know they're just going to die. <laughs> <laughs> horrible but this situation still does boil down to values by the way which character's values do you value more is the question yeah no that's totally fair all right my favorite my absolute favorite fallout the fallout series has been with me for decades yeah uh you know arguably you know th i'd say that this is a fun bit of trivia but jordan and i grew up 
without a ton of access to video games, our parents, you know, we lived out in the woods and our parents always wanted to make sure that we used that time wisely and really enjoyed building tree houses and shit. Yeah. So our cousins always had video games. And so that was our only exposure to like Mario 64 and all of the NES games and stuff like that. In 1998, my world was completely changed <laughs> by arguably the first video game that enveloped me, mind, body, and soul. And I played from morning to night for days on end playing Fallout 2 on, on the first laptop that I ever got my hands on. Noticing a trend here. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> uh, so one of my favorite characters in the entire Fallout series was Harold. He was, uh, do you remember Harold? Uh, yeah, I think so. He was the nasty looking dude that had a tree growing in his head. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was just this kindly old man that kind of helped you on your journey. Uh, and he, yeah, the tree growing out of his head, he actually named Bob. And he would like talk to it like he was talking to himself. Nice. And uh, yeah, he was just a very enjoyable NPC. And you grew to love him uh, throughout your journeys in, in Fallout 2. But Fallout 3, a decade later, in 2008, some 30 year, odd years in the actual game fiction, you run into as a completely new character, but as the same person who played Fallout 2, you run into Harold in Oasis. And he has the that tiny little sapling has completely overtaken his body. He was traveling and he sat down and now all of a sudden the roots of Bob have completely enveloped Harold and he's now part of the tree and it's pushed like all of his internal organs down inside Ooh, a cavern ouchie. and then like his heart is somewhere in the roots and stuff like that it's really it's really hard to watch especially when you came to love harold so the choice that you're presented with because this in this new place uh you know other folks found him and this place has grown into one of the only nice places in the entire fallout 3 world like it's it's called oasis because it's green and lush and it's not this like bombed out radioactive nightmare. And it's only because of Harold that it became such. Exactly. And now all of these, you know, a little town, a little community has grown up around him for the bounty that Harold brings to the area. Because there's basically no other trees in no. Fallout. <laughs> None that aren't withered <laughs> and gross. Yeah. So the choice that you're given when it when you find out that Harold doesn't want to live anymore. He doesn't, he can't move. He just, he's bored out of his mind. He's, he's a ghoul. He already is kind of cursed with everlasting life because he's so irradiated. Yeah. He's just looking, he's staring down the barrel of eternity as a talking tree that a whole bunch of weirdos worship. And he wants you to kill him. That was one of the toughest choices because you are actually presented with the choice of uh, feeding him and allowing his roots to grow and spread the oasis further and wider, stopping his growth, but leaving him alive, ensuring that the community would always get to benefit from him and it would stay a secret. Yeah. Or kill him and lose both, but free Harold. And I got to say, I spent about probably two hours, two hours to two days trying to make that decision yeah. before going back to Oasis and going like, God, Harold, I don't know what to do, man. <laughs> I wish you had some other dialogue options so you could help me with this choice. Yeah, that one's heavy because that's something that we deal with. That's a debated topic in the real world. So to include that in your games, like, whoo. 
Yeah, that's a doozy. That's why Travis and I often stick to values because it creates interesting choices for the characters, but there's no risk of like real arguments and uh. fights at the table, which in a video game, it kind of works because you're sitting by yourself. But I would just say like, be careful with these really heavy topics. Oh, yeah. Maybe clear them first. Like, are you guys okay handling this? <laughs> for sure. This is definitely one of the session zero questions, but my actual takeaway from this experience is building that bigger connection. Like, I would imagine that uh, somebody who had just been introduced to Fallout 3, you know, you come across Oasis and you go, oh, weird, This is there's this weird tree man. But it hit me, and I'm sure a lot of other players that were familiar with Fallout 2 and spent 200 hours in that game world talking and building a connection with Harold. As a developing mind, I might add. Yeah. Like, that was a part of your childhood. Harold was your friend growing <laughs> <That's> up. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so it hit hard. And it's only in that development, going back to the Batman example, it's because we spent an entire half of a movie building up to that decision that it had any weight. Right. We talk about this in our horror episodes, about how important it is to build up to the horror. Otherwise, it's you know it's not going to have that much weight. It's going to be not as, as impactful as it could be. That being said, I agree completely. It's tough to throw a meaningful moral decision in, in the beginning of a game or story. But if you throw in some kind of like quick hitting moral decisions, that can help your players define their characters out of the gate. Like if they don't have strong values yet, that can kind of help them find their path. I really like that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, speaking of 100%, we got a new review. Yes, 100%er. Uh, well, actually, this is not a new review. We just forgot about it. We are very, very sorry. But we we're doing forget, it now. We just procrastinate, Travis. Yes, fair. All right. <laughs> the review, excellent. Five stars. Out of five. <laughs> That's a very important point. <laughs> Easily one of my top favorite DM podcasts. Their advice is consistently useful. And that was from Beeslaw at Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Beeslaw. It's one of my favorite podcasts, too. I'm rather attached. <laughs> you don't say we always appreciate the kind words and the reviews they really do help the show get traction and visibility and growth um right also, it's not just an ego thing yeah <laughs> it's not just not just feeding it <laughs> which it is it is as well uh it gives us the warm fuzzies and whenever we're struggling we go and read some reviews but also we turn to our lovely and handsome i might add patrons Thank you for all of your inspiration and support in many, many, many ways. And a special shout out to our newest patron, Gar the Pirate. Thank you for your support. And also thanks to Time Warp. Nico Y. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Hentenius. Alan E. Matthew T. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldros, Leprechaun, and Will HP. You are all our favorite. Thank you so much for the continued support of the show. We love you so dearly. And also thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can find us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can also join that awesome community where we have those Discord chats, where we have the Hangouts, and we get topics uh, you know, percolating like this one. And you can do that by joining our Discord. You can find the link at hookandchance.com. 
Thanks for listening. And do you want to play a game? Jesus Christ, no. Well, we know the tech clappers.